0: primarily at verses 20 through 30. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. Jesus came home, and as usual, a crowd gathered, so many making demands on him that there wasn't even time to eat. His friends heard what was going on and went to rescue him by force, if necessary. They suspected he was getting carried away with himself. I want you to keep that in mind, I want you to hear that. That's not the parable, but it leads up to the parable. The religion scholars from Jerusalem came down spreading rumors that he was working black magic, using devil tricks to impress them with spiritual power. Jesus confronted their slander with a story. Does it make sense to send a devil to catch a devil? To use Satan to get rid of Satan? A constantly squabbling family disintegrates. If Satan were fighting Satan, there soon wouldn't be any Satan left. Do you think it's possible in broad daylight to enter the house of an awake, able-bodied man and walk off with his possessions unless you tie him up first? Tie him up, though, and you can clean him out. Listen to this carefully. I'm warning you. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you are repudiating the very one who forgives, sawing off the branch on which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. He gave this warning because they were accusing him of being in league with evil. All right, if you didn't pick it up, the parable starts when he says, does it make sense to send the devil to catch a devil? And, and and the parable has to do with the idea uh, that was being put forth by the religion scholars that there was a divided kingdom. And that's what we want you to focus on in, in, in tonight's study. The, the, the dangers of a divided kingdom. Now, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions as, as we look at these verses, and that's why we read it all out to you uh, to start with. Question number one, why are Jesus's friends and family concerned that he needed to be rescued? That's what the text says says that there were so many people making demands on him that there wasn't even time to eat. His friends heard what was going on and went to rescue him. Listen to what it says. By force, if necessary. What does that suggest? It suggests that his friends and family had no idea who he was, what he had come to do, and how it was to be accomplished. Doesn't mean that they weren't his friends. Doesn't mean that they weren't his family. Doesn't mean that they weren't concerned about him. Doesn't mean that they didn't love him. They did all of those things. They were his friends. They were his family. They were concerned about him. They did love him. But what they didn't do was understand him. And they didn't understand him because they were looking at what he was doing from a humanist point of view and not a spiritual point of view. This has implications for us as the church. Because the only way that we can be understood as the church is by spiritual folk. I don't care how folk feel about you, I don't care how folk like you, I don't care how folk care about you, I don't care how folk are concerned about you. If folk are not spiritual, or if folk are not allowing themselves to see things through a spiritual point of view, they will never understand the work of the church. They will think that you are in need of rescue when really everything that you're doing is working out just fine. We, we, we have seen this in other places where people who are well-intentioned uh, make critical errors in judgment because they're judging things from a humanist point of view and not from a spiritual point of view. Most notably, we see it in Simon Peter uh, with regard to Jesus. If you were to flip over to Matthew chapter 16, you don't have to do it. Just mark that down. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, where Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they give this list of folk, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Isaiah or Jeremiah, uh, uh, and he says, well, wh- who do you say that I am? And, and, and Simon Peter speaks up for the whole group and speaks from a spiritual perspective. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him in in, in commending him, he says, I commend you because you gave the right answer, but but you need to know the right answer didn't come from you. The right answer came from the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And then Jesus goes on to talk about what being the Christ actually entails. Now that we have clearly defined who I am, let me explain to you what it means to be who I am. And he starts talking about the fact that he is going to suffer, that he is going to be taken, that he is going to be brutalized, that he is going to be beaten, that he is going to die. And on the third day, he is going to be raised back to life. And the same Simon Peter that had just said from a spiritual uh, perspective, from, 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 from being made usable by the Holy Spirit. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Scripture says he pulled Jesus off to the side, and he begins to rebuke Jesus and tell him, Lord, none of that's going to happen to you. You you, you need to stop talking about that. that. That's not going to happen. What happened between you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this is never going to happen to you, and you need to stop talking about that? Well, most of us want to point to the fact that Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. And, 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 and I like to say it reminds us that God and Satan can use the same folk. Uh, uh, and, and it doesn't take long for you to flip from one to the other. But if you have lived more than a minute, you ought to know that by now. But but beyond that, what it showed, because I believe that Peter thought he was doing the right thing. I believe Peter thought that he was being helpful. I believe that Peter thought he was, he, he was uh, encouraging Jesus by saying none of that is going to happen to you. The problem was Peter was looking at Jesus from a mission standpoint, humanly and not spiritually. He didn't understand that the work of the church demanded that all of these things happen. Jesus, do you know that there is no salvation without a crucifixion? Do you do you know that there is no atonement without a crucifixion and then there is no salvation without a resurrection that's probably the more correct way of saying that. But in order for all of that to happen, then all the things that Jesus said had to happen had to happen. Peter didn't understand. Even though he had just said who Jesus was. He did not understand what the work of Christ entailed. In the same way, what we see in Mark chapter three is a group of people, well-wishers, family members, friends, because different versions of different translations uh, put this differently. Message version, which is what I'm reading from, says friends, other versions say family members. And, and, And so whether it be friends or family, they loved Jesus, they were concerned about Jesus, they wanted to be supportive of Jesus. But what the text says leading into the parable is that they decided that they were going to rescue him by force if necessary. The suggestion is they thought that he was in some kind of trouble, you you, you don't rescue folk unless they're in some kind of trouble, right? So, 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 so from their perspective, this throng of people, these, these miraculous things that Jesus is doing, this, this long bit of time spent teaching the word of God, it was exhausting to Jesus. And they were interested in Jesus taking a break. They were interested in Jesus pulling back. They were interested in Jesus stopping. And they decided if he won't stop on his own, we going to stop him for his own good. It's a humanist perspective of a spiritual mission which explains why they didn't understand what it was that he was doing. Now, this isn't the primary reason why he gives the parable, but I thought it was important that we see that because not everybody who tries to hinder Jesus don't like Jesus. Not everybody who tries to hinder the church are folk who are outside the church who don't like the church. Some of the folk who, who who cause problems in the church, some of the people who cause confusion and keep up confusion in the church, don't do so just because they messy folk. I know we'll be like, just church full of messy people. It's not always the case that folk are just messy. It's just that they don't understand. They see things purely from a humanist point of view, and they don't recognize that from a spiritual perspective, certain things have to take place. And so, in and, and I always like to use this term because it, it, it's what my grandmother used to say when I was a boy. And, and whenever she she did something that my daddy didn't like and he started getting on her about what she did, she'd always say, I was just trying to hip. Sometimes we just trying to hip. We, 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 We're not against, we're not anti, we, we call ourselves being helpful, we call ourselves being supportive, but you can't support what you don't understand. And if you are constantly looking at the church from a humanist point of view and not a spiritual point of view, you are going to always be in a situation where you don't understand. Going back to 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 Peter again, because I I could use a whole bunch of examples where Peter is concerned. Do you remember when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain of transfiguration and 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 up there he he he's transfigured and, and, and the scripture says that his appearance changed, his clothes changed, and, and and when Peter, James, and John looked, Jesus was holding a conversation with Moses on one side and Elijah on the The other, now, how they knew it was Moses and Elijah, I don't know. The scripture doesn't say, but that's what the text says, that he was holding a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And and, and it was a wonderful event. It was a life-changing event. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. And James and John had sense enough to stay quiet because they knew that they didn't know nothing about what was going on. Peter on the other And Peter's well-intentioned. And Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And what we need to do is build three tabernacles right here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, whenever we preach this, we don't have the time to really break that down. But give me two minutes to break that down. Number one, what Peter suggested was absolutely stupid. Okay? It it, it wasn't just short-sighted. It was stupid. Because he didn't say we need to build three tents. He said we need to build three tabernacles. Now, a tabernacle is a tent, but it is so much more than a tent. If if you go back and read uh, where... God gives Moses instruction on how the tabernacle was to be built. It was an extravagant tent. It was a huge tent, and it took tremendous amounts of time and detail in order to build it. So when Peter said, we need to build three tabernacles, he was suggesting something that was completely ridiculous and impossible to do but he thought that it was a good thing to say. You know why? Because he was looking at everything from a human point of view and not from a spiritual point of view. Bible says that that, that not long after he says that, God lowers a cloud down over Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. And then God speaks to them from heaven. And God says, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And then the cloud lifts up. And when the cloud lifts up, there's no Moses. There's no Elijah. There is just Jesus. And the point is, that God was was making to Peter and to the others who might have been thinking like Peter was thinking but had sense enough to keep their mouths shut. But the point that he was making is that Jesus can't be shared like everybody else. Jesus is unique unto himself. He, he He doesn't call Jesus his servant. He calls Jesus his son. Different designation altogether and he says he's the one that i love he's the one that i have vested your future in listen to him if peter had understood that he never would have made the statement that he made but he wasn't being mean and he wasn't being intentionally divisive peter was like my grandmother he was just trying to hit this is what i think we ought to do. So much of what goes on in the church is misunderstood even within the church because our approach to the church is not spiritual. Our approach to the church is humanist. What do you mean by that? It's not spiritual. It's humanist. I mean that we approach the church just like we approach any other human institution. we we approach the church the way we approach social groups the way we approach clubs some of y'all in here old enough to remember when churches evolved out of missionary and benevolent societies The, the the benevolent society actually birthed certain local congregations in this city you go back and read the history of some of these churches It it was benevolent societies that birthed many of the churches in our community. And when the church, when when the local congregation was birthed out of these things, it brought with it some of that into the church. And we still can. I was saying at noon today when we were talking about generous giving. At noon, and and I was reminding them that there was a time. I was a small boy, but I still remember there was a time when the church was supported not by tithes and offerings, but by dues. Everybody had to pay dues, and you had to keep yourself three months current, or else your name was stricken from the roll. and And if you died when your name was stricken from the roll, you wasn't gonna be buried in the church. They wasn't gonna serve you the Lord's supper if you were three if you were three months behind in paying. Your dues, they pass by you. And can you imagine being passed by and not being allowed the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper because you fell behind in paying your dues? Does that sound like a spiritual thing? No, but it's very much a human thing because some of y'all are members of fraternities and sororities and other social groups, and you know what happens when you fall behind on your dues, right? They drop you from the roll till you pay and catch up on your dues. My point is this, the problems within the church don't always come from those who are opposed to the church. Sometimes, as in the case here, it's those who are friends of the church, those who are family, those who are brothers and sisters that cause the biggest, that cause the biggest problems. Not because they're mean, not because they want to see the church destroyed, but because their, their perspective on the church is not spiritual, but is human. I know that, that we like to say the church is like this, or the church is like that, or the church is like something else, but the truth of the matter is, ain't nothing else like the church. Because only the church is built on Jesus. I I, I, I chuckle when I hear some some of my preacher colleagues talk about they founded their church you ain't found nothing you want to know who the founder of the church is Jesus go back to Matthew chapter 16 blessed are you Simon son of Jonas for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father which is in heaven and I say that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. So if Reverend Dr. So-and-so founded something, the suggestion is that it belongs to them. But Jesus says the church is his. We organize local congregations, but we don't found nothing founding suggests ownership. You think you own the church? You think that because, because you put money in the church, you own it? Do you know that the money that you gave came from the Lord? That if the Lord didn't give you any money, you wouldn't have nothing to put in the church in the first place? You're going to talk about what we own. What us got. You don't even own what's in your closet. It's on loan. D- oh, you bought it. I, I, I know you went to the store and bought it. But it ain't yours. It's going to be somebody else's in a minute. Do you know that when you die, they can't bury you but in one suit of clothes? And all the rest of that stuff in the closet, somebody's going to fight over. You can't wear that. Ain't even your size. These are the conversations that take place all the time. If you think I'm lying, then you ain't had nobody die in your family here, boy. You know, after the hallelujah, after the praise the Lord, after the the falling out and all over the place, we go back home and we start fighting about who gets which pair of shoes. And who gets which set of dishes? And who gets the shiffer robe and the china closet? Amen. And, and, And you think you own something. This is God's church. We don't found anything. All that we do is organize local congregations. Once again, it has nothing to do with meanness. It has to do with a lack of understanding. His friends decided that he needed to be rescued. That's what the text says. And they were going to rescue him if they had to do it by force. Now, that ain't all that the text says. The text says they suspected. Read the text. They suspect it he was getting carried away with himself. Translation, they suspected Jesus was getting the big head. Y'all know folk who get the big head, right? Here's the thing about that. If anybody's gonna get the big head, don't you think it would be Jesus? Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. If you understood what I was doing the three years that I've been you, been with you, you wouldn't ask me to show you the Father because you'd understand that that's who I am. If anybody's gonna get the big head, it's gonna be Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, it wasn't a matter of Jesus getting the big hit. It was a matter of their perspective on what Jesus was doing, because Jesus was driven to do what he was doing. And he was so zealous for accomplishing what the father had sent him to do that he was singularly focused on ministry and wouldn't let anything deter him. At the end of this passage, which is not in the, in, in the part that I read, it says that Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters showed up, and they were on the outside, and they tried to get him to come outside. And, and somebody went in and yanked on Jesus' cocktail and said, Jesus, your mama and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus' response was, who is my mama? Who are my brothers and sisters? The ones who do the will of my father. They are my mother and my brother's And my sisters, that's the speaking, that's the language of someone who is singularly focused on what he has been called to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what you've been called to do? If you don't know what you have been called to do, then you don't have any understanding of what this passage is talking about. There's a difference between a job and a career. A lot of folk work jobs. I need to make money, I need to put food on the table, I'll work a job. And you can be successful at a job, but the whole time that you are being successful on the job, you realize that this isn't really what I want to do. This isn't really what I was called to do. There is nothing more powerful than knowing what you have been called do knowing that 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 this is it this is what i have been set on my entire life now i'm gonna say this not because it's 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 braggadocious but because it's a fact if you think i'm bragging I, i can't help you but but i have known from the age of six that this is what i was called to do i've never had a doubt in my mind I've never had any other idea. I didn't stumble into the ministry. I didn't come to the ministry after I tried four or five other different things. I didn't wake up one morning in my 30s and realize, well, maybe ministry is the way that I should go. From the time I was six years old, the Lord spoke to me, woke me up out of a sound sleep, stood me up and told me that this is what I was supposed to do. Now, does that mean that every day has been sunshine? Lord Jesus, no. Does that mean that I've always liked it? Lord Jesus, no. Does that mean that there weren't times that I looked back over my shoulder and said, really? Lord Jesus, no. But there was never, ever, a time in my, and I've had some rough times. I've had some terrible times. I've had some, 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 some just ridiculously terrible times. But there was never a time when I ever thought about quitting. Because I knew. I knew that this is what I was called to do. When you have that kind of certainty, when you have that kind of focus, folk ain't gonna understand that. Folk who love you. I ain't talking about mean folk. I ain't, I ain't even got to the bad folk yet, and I've already been talking 30 minutes. I haven't I haven't gotten to, I'm talking about the folk who love you. The folk who love Jesus came thinking that he needed to be rescued. The folk who loved Jesus came saying he needed to stop. The folk who loved Jesus came saying he's getting the big head. Do you know why? Because they didn't understand. Because they were looking at it from a humanist perspective and not from a spiritual perspective. If you know that you've been saved, See, see what I just said about myself has to do with my calling to to the ministry. But everybody in here ought to to be able to say, because everybody in here is saved, right? So everybody in here ought to have the same conviction about their salvation that I have. What I'm saying about me shouldn't be unique to me. You ought to be driven. I fussed at folk at noon, I'm gonna fuss at y'all too. When, 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 When I was coming back from Florida, last Thursday, I was listening to the weather reports here in Baton Rouge, and I was mad because I knew that y'all had made up your minds Thursday that you wasn't coming to church on Sunday. governor got on the air and started talking about making sure that you have adequate provisions and that you take proper precautions and that you get your sandbags and get all of your emergency make sure your batteries are working and then the mayor got on and she was surrounded by all of her people and she started telling you about all the things that you needed to do to be ready nothing wrong with that they did their job that's what they're supposed to do but you know what the storm went by My wife went out and bought 2,000 gallons of water <laughs> to be ready for the storm. Oodles and oodles of soup and dry goods to be ready for the storm. Batteries galore to be ready for the storm. And around 11 o'clock Saturday, she got mad, because I wouldn't spend all that money in the storm. I ain't here. When's the storm coming? Now, Brother Ferris would tell you, we lost power, but, but but we lost power not because trees were uprooted, and not because lions fell. We lost power neighbor. Share. It would tell you, I'm looking to share. He'll tell you, we lost power for, for for about six hours, seven hours, but hardly a drop of rain fell. And because it was so cloudy and windy, it wasn't that bad being without power. But the whole time, I kept telling my wife, ain't nobody going to be in church tomorrow. Because they ain't already made up their mind." I looked at the energy grid, you know, you know, the power outage grid, to see who was without power. And I went to some of y'all's neighborhoods where I know y'all live. And all y'all had green lines while we had red ones. So why wasn't y'all in church on Sunday? The streets were not flooded. They were not impassable. They were not barricades that sent you in two-mile circles of, 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 of detour. Y'all made up your mind on Thursday that you were not coming to church on Sunday. He just wanted to get that off his chest. Well, yes, but I'm making a point. (laughs) And the point I'm making is, if you were serious about your worship of God, you would have been here. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah. I had I had preacher friends of mine call me, ask me, what y'all gonna do? We have in church and I said it almost like that with with, with a with tint of disgust in my what you mean, what we gonna do? It's the Lord's day. We haven't worship. If we are serious, I don't understand. Save, sanctified, heaven-bound folk who can let Sunday come. And you've already made up your mind. You're going to be somewhere else. But in the Lord's house. And I ain't talking to people who hate Jesus. I ain't talking to people who hate the church. I ain't talking to people who are trying to destroy the church. I'm talking to folk who are a part of the church. And who say you love the church and you love the Lord. But you're lazy, and you're trifling, and you're some and you let the least little thing keep you from coming to the Lord's house. And it's an indicator of something. It's not just me calling you a name. It's an indicator that we are not focused and clear on what it is that we are to do. I know what our culture is for some of us who are old enough. We came from cultures where you didn't have church every Sunday. You had circuit preachers and you only had church sometimes once a month, sometimes twice a month. But you didn't have church every Sunday. That's our culture. And we brought we have brought that culture with us. And so that's something in our minds. that say every Sunday I'm supposed to go to church. Every Sunday. The Lord wakes you up every morning, right? I'm so glad it's not in Jesus's culture to decide, "Eh, I don't know if I'm going to wake him up this morning. Every Sunday. You ought to be in the Lord's house. If you ain't here, you ought to be in the Lord's house somewhere. Because that's what the church does. We approach church from a humanistic point of view. And consequently, we fail to maximize our potential because we don't recognize how blessed we are to be a part of Christ's work. Jesus' friends and family came to stop him. They came to pull him back. They came to bring him down. And their reasoning was, he's gotten full of himself. He's lost himself in his work. And he has forgotten who he is. No, he knows who he is. The question is, do you know who he is? And do you know who you are? In him. 38 minutes, and I'm now getting to the bad folk. Ain't there something? Spend all this time talking about the good folk. Let's talk about the bad folk. Scripture says that the religion, verse 22, the religion scholars from Jerusalem came down spreading rumors. That he was working black magic, using devil tricks to impress them with spiritual power. Now, if, 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 if the good folk, the loving folk, the supportive folk were trying to stop him because they loved him, why were the bad folk trying to stop him? They were trying to stop him because he was infringing upon their territory. He was making inroads into the hearts and minds of people with the saving knowledge of who God really is and what God really desires from them. That's the spiritual aspect of it. But there was also, again, a humanist aspect of it. These religion scholars, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, These were the religious orthodoxy of that day. And under Roman occupation, these were the people who the Roman government expected to keep the peace among the people. Remember, Jerusalem and Israel was not a free nation. It was not an independent, sovereign power. In fact, m- much of the time the disciples are with Jesus. They're asking, when are you going to establish this kingdom? Thinking that the kingdom was an earthly kingdom. Rome was the authority in that land. They were the occupying force. But the Roman government used Jewish people within Israel in order to keep the peace among the people. In other words, what they said to, 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 to the scholars, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the scribes is, we'll be nice to you as long as you keep all them folk under control. If we see that you have lost control of the folk, then we're going to have to deal with them and with you. So the Pharisees had a vested interest. there. Their power, their authority did not come from God. Hear me well. Their power and authority did not come from God. Their power and authority came from the occupying empire. And the occupying empire told them to use God At their discretion to keep the people in line. You need to hear me. Because what I just said is what's going on right now. There are segments of the church that are vying for control of the hearts and the minds and the wills and the culture of the masses of people. Not because they have authority from God, but because they have curried the favor of the empire. And do you know who the empire is? The United States government. Moral majority in the 70s and 80s, conservative Christian right in the 2000s and now almost 2020. It's the same folk. They don't derive their authority from any kind of personal integrity from any kind of love for God. What they love is having access to the president and the influential members of the federal government and on state levels, the influential members of state government and on the local level, the influential members of local government. This has nothing to do with divine authority. It has nothing to do with scripture. It has nothing to do with differences of opinion on how Scripture is interpreted. It has to do with maintaining our position within the community and showing the powers that be that we can keep folk in line. That's what it's really all about. And in order to keep folk in line, we will bastardize the scripture and say that folk who don't see the scripture the way we see it are demonic. Because that's what the religion scholars said. They said that Jesus was doing the work that he was doing by the power of Satan. Don't you think that's what they're saying about the real church right now? because not everybody here that meets on Sunday morning is, is, is the real church. If you love the flag more than you love Jesus, you ain't the real church. If you can find a way to say that the president is not a racist, when it's clear that he is a racist, and a xenophobe, and a general idiot, then you are not the church. If you can find problems with everything that has to do with uplifting marginalized people, and try to use scripture in order to support it. You are not the church. If you think it's okay to have food deserts in our community, where people have to get their meals from convenience stores because there's not a supermarket in their area, and you think that that's okay, if you're one of these morons who talks about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you ain't even got boots. You are not. The real church. If you try to to, to. to silence. Those who speak up. For the poor. And the lost. And the left out. And the disadvantaged. Those that Jesus said he came. To minister to. You are not the church or you may quote scripture and you may speak from pulpits and you may speak in sanctuaries but you are not the church you are the dupes and the tools of the empire and you are being used to keep the folk in line let me tell you something When you know who Jesus is, really know who Jesus is, and really know what he came to do, and really know what you are expected to do as his disciple, that foolishness just doesn't fly with you anymore. (laughs) Paul uses it in a different way. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. What does that have to do with what, with, with what we're talking about? I'm but, but But let me tell you, part of our problem is we still act, think, and talk like children. And we fail to grow up and recognize what it is that we have truly been called to do. And how it is that we are to serve him. And there is a faction of the church. There is a faction of religious orthodoxy uh, within Christendom. Whose sole purpose is not to affirm Jesus, but to keep you quiet and keep you silent. And so they misuse and abuse scriptures in order to do it. And they gather in packs with people who have lots of money, who feed that money to them in order to keep them doing the things that they want them to do. You think some of these churches, that, that some of these mega churches that are being built, that spout everything but the truth of the gospel, are being built with tithes and offerings? Do do, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that that, that the folk who are in the church are the ones who actually paid for the facilities that they had? And the ministries that they had? Really? You're getting quiet on me. That's fine. Because you don't know what to say. I know what I'm saying and I know I'm right. It's empire. They don't ever have to worry about where the money's going to come from, because they ain't looking for the money coming from you. Corporations filter money into them. You keep them quiet. You keep them docile. You keep them ignorant. You keep them down. We'll keep you on the air 24-7, spouting lies. You know, you can turn on your TV 24 hours a day and find some fool who has taken— somebody else's money and slicked back their hair and dyed it black even though they 285 years old to spout lies and keep you from doing the work that God has actually called you to do. When folks stand up for poor folk and marginalized folk and uneducated folk, and brown folk, and black folk. All of a sudden, there's no money for them. We can build multi-million dollar, hundred million dollar facilities. These ministries can But they can't send mission funds down to the border to make sure that those children have something to eat. They, they 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 take in hundreds of thousands of dollars every Sunday, but they can't send a few thousand dollars down to the border to make sure five-year-old children have clean diapers and soap and toothbrushes and toothpaste and a washcloth. Really, empire. The religion scholars came and they told the people, don't pay no attention to him. Because the work that he's doing, the the work that he's doing, casting out demons, he's doing by the power of Satan. Got eight minutes left. Finally, I get to the parable. We've had the folk who like Jesus try to stop him. And now we've had the folk who don't like Jesus try to stop him. Listen to what Jesus says, does it make sense to send a devil to catch a devil, to use Satan, to get rid of Satan? Do you think it's possible in broad daylight to enter the house of an awake, able-bodied man and walk off with his possessions unless you tie him up first? who's the able-bodied man that he's talking about? That's the, that's Satan. That's the devil. Who's the one who's tying him up? He says the strong man is the one who comes in and ties him up. Jesus is the strong man. He's saying there's a difference between the one who is being tied up and the one who's doing the tying. The reason why you don't understand me is because you have equated me with the devil you you, your interest is personal your interest is maintaining your position within the community you're not looking beyond yourselves to see the larger picture of what God wants done in the world and so you are so bent on having your way that you would say you would make the ridiculous statement that Satan is being employed to drive out Satan And here's the thing that we have learned over the last two years of President Donald Trump. You say a lie long enough, loud enough, and consistently enough, and people believe it. No corruption. No collusion. Best economy in the history of our country. Greatest employment rate that we've ever had. America is greater than it has ever been, and it's all because of me. And if you don't vote me back into office, you're crazy because I'm the best friend that you have ever had. You say that lie long enough, loud enough, consistently enough, folks start to believe it. I don't have a racist bone in my body. No, but you got racist corpuscles and racist muscles and racist cells and racist sinew and racist everything else. Every fiber of your being is racist. Your history is racist. Your history is sexist. I love women. Yeah, I bet you do. But you say, No matter how ridiculous the lie is, people actually start to believe the lie. The religion scholars said, Don't, don't, don't trust Jesus because this, this work that he's doing casting out demons, he's doing it by the power of demons. Jesus said, That don't even make a little bit of sense. He says, I'm the strong man who sent to tie up the demon, the Satan. The tempter. You know, we we, we say Satan like it's his name. It's really a title. The Satan. The tempter. That's literally what it means. Then he says something else, and I got four minutes, and we're going to stop. He says, be careful what you say. I'm paraphrasing. I could read it, but I'd rather paraphrase. He says, be careful what you say about the Holy Spirit. He says... Anything you say about me is all right. I can take it. I can forgive it. It can be forgiven. But when you take the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit, and you attribute it to satanic and demonic forces, you are cutting yourselves off from God's forgiveness from God's salvation. It is from this passage that we we come to the understanding that according to the scripture there is one lone unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not to use God's name in a profane way which is not something that we should do But that's not what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when we take the power of God and we attribute it to Satan. And and Jesus says when you do that, it is an unforgivable sin. Our kingdom is divided. This This is where I started. Our kingdom is divided not just because there's opposition that's trying to stop us. Our kingdom is sometimes divided by folk who love us and call themselves trying to help us. But it's divided because they don't understand, nor do they have the perspective of spirituality, but they only see things from a humanist point of view. You can't do God's work from a humanist point of view. Too much of what Jesus says makes no sense from a humanist point of view. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Walk the second mile. None of that makes sense from a human point of view. So when you're a child, you walk, talk, think, and act like a child. But when you grow up, when you grow in Christ, when you mature in Christ, it all begins to make sense. Because you're no longer seeing it from your point of view, but you're seeing it from his point of view. There might be someone here tonight who wants to be a part of God's church. We're going to stand together and sing a verse of Just As I Am. And if there's one, we invite you.